Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord. He also said, the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stock, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. He also said, with what can can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds of the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. In the first reading that we read this morning from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, in case you don't know the context, it's a continuation of something that he began discussing in his first letter to the Corinthians. And in many ways, he's bringing to completion what he began in that first letter. It's, It's not only a completion, it's a continuation of this discussion of what was going on in Corinth. And if you don't know what was going on in Corinth, Corinth was a very, very interesting place. In the Greco-Roman world, you had a lot of immorality and a lot of decadence. Well, Corinth was probably the pinnacle of that. You know, it's kind of like thinking about the phrase, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, that would be Corinth. You know, Corinth would be the place that you would go to party, that you would go away to get away with it, that you would go away to find pleasure and decadence. And so Paul ends up bringing the gospel to Corinth. And he not only went to Corinth, it's a place that he logged a lot of time, that he spent over a year and a half, possibly two, possibly even three years there. And when you consider his missionary journeys... By far, it's the longest period of time he spent in any one city or town. He felt compelled to stay there, not only because there was a response to the gospel, but because it was such, in many ways, an evil place, and yet he saw the Lord moving in powerful ways. This was a people, when they grasped a hold of something, as oftentimes happens with people who seek something and pursue it to the nth degree, They got the gospel and they would start to pursue it. And so you would see in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, 
that they would have the Holy Spirit and they would have the gifts and they start using the gifts. And Paul would also talk about love and the passion with which they moved. And so that was Corinth, that they always seemed to do things passionately. But because they were Corinthians, they didn't always get it right. And that was also the case. And so we read, for example, early on in his first letter, Paul writes in chapter 3, and so, brothers and sisters, he always talked to them with respect and love because he was excited about the church there and he loved the church there and he loved the people there. He says, and so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk. Not solid food, for you are not ready for solid food. Even now you are still not ready, for you are still in the flesh. You know, as much as they exhibited the spiritual gifts and passion and fire, they were still in the flesh. You know, this was a type of people that, you know, kind of the gospel abounded. They experienced the forgiveness of Christ. They understood that because they were so decadent. Oh, wow, this gospel is forgiveness. But then they kept saying, well, if you get forgiveness, might as well keep sinning because this is so cool. So they were still in the flesh. Oh, it reminds me of Owen. This is not good. (laughs) It's my grandson. I'm just in love again. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, the kind of which is not even found among among the pagans. See, they just didn't get it. They just kept living in this pleasure. And Paul is saying there's so many things that are great about your life, about your passion, about the Holy Spirit moving among you, but you just keep living in the flesh. And what he begins to say to them is what you do with this, your body, matters. See, because the Corinthians weren't just grasping that idea. Because for them there was almost a disconnect. And it's a different kind of disconnect, but the same thing happens today. See, back then, part of the reason for the disconnect is there were these philosophies floating around like Stoicism, Epicureanism. Stoicism, it was like you beat the body down, get the body out of the way because it's the mind and the spirit that matters. So the body doesn't matter, just get it out of the way so you can focus on the mind and the spirit. Epicureanism, on the other hand, it's like, you know, the mind is what matters. So you focus on the mind, the body doesn't matter. So just feed it and drink and it doesn't matter. Just enjoy the good things of life because it's the mind that matters. See, today... The way it works in the church is people say, well, as long as you're a nice person or a good person, it doesn't really matter what you believe. That's the way it works in many aspects of the church. They don't define what it means to be nice or good. As long as you're spiritual. As if this doesn't matter. And then the world, the world says, well, there is basically is the body. 
So you just do what takes care of the body. Your diet. Go to the gym. Take a lot of walks. Visit your plastic surgeon regularly. You know, whatever will make the body feel good and look good. So there's different schools on that. And what Paul is saying is, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then he takes a little different tack in 2 Corinthians, and he says, what we have here is treasures in clay jars. In other words, once you're a believer, once you have the Holy Spirit, you have a treasure in you because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And then he uses this Old Testament analogy that it's like the tent in the wilderness. The Israelites would be familiar with the tents. They're wandering in the wilderness and God constantly provided for them, constantly took care of them. He was with them all the way. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And the tent, the tabernacle, housed God. Until they got to the promised land and it was a temple. So the tent was the temporary thing that housed them. But somehow this disconnect happened in the church. You know that you just take care of the soul and the mind. But the body doesn't matter. So you can do what you want as long as you're spiritual, as long as your mind and your soul are taken care of. And it happens in the church today and it happens in the world today. Why is that? How can we separate that? You know, it's fascinating. In other ways, we don't separate it. Think about how in other ways in our world, we say that we are whole human beings. How does that exhibit itself? Let me give you a couple of examples. When people persecute others in other countries... They don't say to them, you know what, we're just going to torture your body, but we're really not trying to affect your mind and your emotions. We're just torturing your body. Do you think that's what they're trying to do? They're trying to change what they believe. That's why they torture the body. Think about when people are depressed emotionally or spiritually. Does it affect their bodies? They oversleep or they undersleep. They overeat or they starve themselves. When we are affected emotionally or spiritually, it affects our bodies. We are whole together one. When we were in Pittsburgh, we stayed with a childhood friend of mine, a guy that goes back to when I was zero. You know, we moved to the suburbs when I was 11 or 12 and we lost touch for years and years and years, and then we reconnected years later. And he recently, this past year, went through a divorce, and in a two- or three-month period, he lost 50 or 60 pounds. He was a big guy. He is a big guy. But he said, I wasn't even trying to lose weight, Greg. I just did. Why? Because we're whole human beings, when we're affected emotionally, when we're affected spiritually, it affects our bodies. That's why Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're one human whole 
being. And that's why what you do with your body is going to affect how your spirit operates. When you place your body before the Lord in prayer with His Word, it's going to affect your spirit. When you're in church worshiping, your body's here. It's going to affect, if you're really all here, it's going to affect how you live, how your spirit is, how your emotions operate. Because we're one whole human being. You can't separate that. Isn't that interesting? And so Paul addresses that. This treasure we have in clay jars, this tent, this temple of the Holy Spirit, he uses all kinds of different terms to try to convey that. And then he uses this wonderful phrase, being at home in the body, being at home in the body. See, right now in this world, this is our temporary home. It is not our permanent home. There are some people who believe this is their permanent home. And so that's why they spend so much time focusing on it. We as Christians need to find the balance. We spend so much time nurturing this. Think about how much time you spend nurturing this with food, with sleep. Do you spend time feeding your soul? Do you spend time finding rest in the Lord for your soul? Do you spend time in fellowship, connecting with other people, finding rest, finding support, finding encouragement? That's why the Lord desires that we find that balance. And this is temporary. This is temporary. What the Lord has in mind for us is permanent. That's why this is only a temporary home. What his goal is for us to focus on what is eternal. You know, what's interesting is there's a group that just went to Tanzania. They're probably coming back right around now this weekend. They went two weeks ago. Every time we would go to Tanzania, I've been there ten times, we would end with a sightseeing safari. We would often go late one afternoon and evening to this place called Mikumi National Park, spend the night there, and then in the morning do an early morning safari and then drive back to Dar es Salaam that day. And oftentimes we would spend the night in this tent village or this tent camp inside the national park. Several times when we were there, elephants would come into the camp late at night. Now, we're staying in tents on stilts in the park. When an elephant comes to the mouth of your tent, it is not a secure feeling. I would rather be in a temple at that moment than a tent. Okay? 
But fortunately, we had Maasai warriors in the camp, guarding the camp, and they would chase the elephants away. The point. The Lord is saying, this home is temporary. This is not a permanent structure. This is a tent. It's not where your security lies. It's not the permanent structure. The permanent structure is the Lord. This is very tenuous. This is very temporary. And when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, they realized their provision, their protection was the Lord. And I wonder sometimes that we put too much stock in this body. If we give this body too much focus to the exclusion of what it is that the Lord wants us to focus on and nurture. And find that balance in our lives. So that we're really getting our focus right. And that's why Paul goes on to say, make it your aim. Make it your aim. The upward call of Jesus Christ. You know, one of the words for sin, the old English word is missing the mark. We miss the mark with our lives. We fail to make it our aim to focus on Jesus Christ. And so we wander aimlessly. That's why God led them through the wilderness when they were wandering. Instead of wandering aimlessly, they were following the lead of the Lord. And I wonder, do we, what, I wonder, do we make him our aim? The upward call, focused on him. You know, I used an illustration years and years ago. And Sarah Tillman said to me, I love that illustration. So I'm going to use it again. And I call it steering high. Anyone remember that? Anyone learn steering high in driver's education? Let me tell you what I mean by steering high. Having just logged 3,041 miles on my recent trip, I use steering high all the time. When you look at the dashboard, you're looking at your speed sometimes, in my case. And you're looking at, you know, your gauges, making sure you don't overheat. You're looking for any engine lights that might come on. You want to make sure that your car is running properly. Then you're looking at the road immediately in front of you. Potholes, hazards, the driver immediately in front of you for brake lights coming on. When you're driving on Hilton Head Island, for drivers that stop on the circle, it drives me nuts. I've had that happen since I've come back on the island. It's such a joy. But when you're steering high, you're looking down the road a ways to see what's unfolding. Like when you're going down the highway 80 or more, you want to make sure you give yourself plenty of time to break. And so you have to see what's unfolding before you. That's called steering high. And to try to learn how to do that simultaneously as you're driving constantly, you have to concentrate. But you want to aim high so you get to your goal. 
And that's why we make it our aim in order to get to our goal. To see what's unfolding before us. To keep our eyes on where we're going so we get there. That's why we have to steer high when it comes to the Lord. Not just on ourselves, on the immediacy. Not to just the people around us. But to the Lord and what He's calling us to. Where we're going. And then finally, as Paul wraps this passage up, he talks about judgment. And so many people are not conscious of judgment. Whether it be in the world or even in the church. They have this mindset that, in the world in particular, that there really isn't any judgment. If there's a God and he's a good God, everybody gets there. And if there's not a God, then what's the big deal anyway? And even in the church, people just say, basically, you know, I'm okay, and all my family's okay, and I'm not going to concern myself with that because I've got my fire insurance. I'm baptized. I'm good, you know? And the reality is, is that people aren't concerned with judgment. And there is judgment. And what we do with this matters. This, Paul refers to in two ways. If you've been through the discovery class, you've heard this. There's two Greek terms, sarx and soma. Sarx is the flesh, that which tends towards evil. But the soma oftentimes is interpreted the body. It's neutral. It's an instrument. You know, and using the instrument properly for what God intended is important. Several weeks ago, I was playing golf with my buddies and I made a birdie putt, and I was walking off the putting surface, and I walked straight to the next driving, driving tee box, and I still had my putter in my hand. And one of the guys said to me, he said, Greg, you, you made a really good putt, but I don't think you're going to hit it very far with your putter off the driving range. You know, you've got to have the right instrument. You've got to use the right instrument. You've got to use it properly. This instrument was de- designed by God for His purposes, for His glory, for His work. This body. Paul over and over again in Romans makes that point. To against the Romans 12 when he says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice which is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Isn't it interesting? When we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, it becomes our spiritual worship. Why? Because it's all connected. It's all intertwined. This is the instrument for our spiritual worship, for our serving the Lord and serving each other. That's his desire. So what we do with this matters. And oh, by the way, the older you get, the more you realize this is not designed for eternity. And therefore, you become more conscious that there, I will stand before the throne someday. You know, it's funny. When we were driving to Bethany and Charlie's to, for me to meet our grandchild, Owen, 
We drove nine hours and we stopped and spent the night. Then we drove another nine hours. And then it's like I get to hold Owen. And I held Owen for two hours. And it was like so wonderful. And then I handed him to his mother to nurse. My back was killing me. And I understood why young people have babies. And I said to Meredith, you have got to crack my back. You know, 18 hours in the car in two days and then holding the baby for two hours. It was like, oh, my gosh. I didn't realize I was getting old. But I am. You know, the reality is we get reminders periodically. This body's not designed for eternity. It's not. It's a tent. But then Paul uses the term, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're both a tent, temporary, but you're a temple. When we come to know Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And we need to be filled every day. Equipped every day so that this, this can be his instrument for his glory. So that we can make him our aim. The upward call of Jesus Christ. For his sake, for our sake, and for the sake of those around us. Let's pray. Lord God, how often we we just lose sight that this world is not our permanent home. And this body is temporary. And Lord, we're given reminders. Lord, help us to steer high, to make you our aim. to daily be filled with your Holy Spirit, that we might be your temple, and at the same time be mindful that we are tents, that we are wandering through this wilderness that we call the world, and that we're called to live for you and your glory. Lord, fill us this day and every day, and help us to use this instrument and be a living sacrifice that we might worship you and serve you with the whole of our being and glorify you and be a blessing to those around us until we see you face to face. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.